Well, take your Bibles and turn with me once again to 1 John. 1 John. We began a series on this precious book last week as we made our way through 1 John chapter 1. We had the opportunity to preach both morning and evening on 1 John chapter 1 in order that we might make our way to 1 John chapter 2 today. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light. And He has called us to walk in the light as He is in the light. How do we not walk in darkness? We walk with Christ, for He is the light. How is it that we might find ourselves walking in darkness? Walk away from Christ, walk apart from Christ, and you can be sure that you will walk in darkness because Jesus is the light. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, He died to take us out of the kingdom of darkness and into His marvelous light. But the Scripture speaks of this world, and when it speaks of this world, it speaks of darkness, not light. And so as we walk in this world, we have a tendency as sinful man, To walk away from the light of Christ. This does not mean that He will ultimately walk away from us. That never can be. Did you know that if you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has saved you. It's not that He might save you if you make it to the end. He has saved you. When I turned to Christ at 19 years old and I asked Him to be my Savior, He saved me. And I began on that day a wonderful journey and I have desired in my soul and in my spirit to walk every day with Christ. But I cannot look back in the last 19 years. You know, this is amazing. I just thought of this. I'm getting real close to being more years with Christ than without Him. I think I might have made it. Praise the Lord. But I cannot look back at the last 19 years of my life and say that every day was spent walking with Christ. That would be a lie. There have been some moments, some minutes, some hours, and even days... Where I've walked not with Christ, but of my own accord, doing what I would. And even in some instances, refusing to do what Christ would have me to do. I've sinned against Christ since I've been, since I've been saved. And the sin, you could even say, is more grievous because now I know Christ. And it makes no sense now that I know Christ. To not walk with Christ, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. He came to give life and more abundantly. The Scripture says, Here in His life, that they might know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. It makes no sense, since I've been saved, to spend one moment of my life walking away from Christ. But I know in all honesty I've sinned. And my sin... 
is not in its particulars necessarily this thing I did, this thing I did, this thing I said, this thing I thought. But the sin originated or had its beginnings in me walking away from the light. For if I had been walking in the light, I never would have sinned. Does it make sense? The sin wasn't, didn't have its beginning in the doing of the thing, the saying the words, the looking on this, the hearing that. It began because I spent time saying, I don't want to walk with Christ right now. I praise the Lord that the Lord Jesus Christ, He is so very good. You know that, don't you? The Scripture says, Jesus Himself says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear My voice and open the door, I will come in unto him and I will sup with him and he with me. I believe that verse is speaking not to those who do not know Christ, but to those that do. And I praise the Lord when I've walked into the darkness, so to speak, Not into the world, the darkness of hell. I will never spend one moment in hell. But the darkness that comes with walking away from Christ, Christ comes and knocks on my door. You know, one of the most, one of the things that makes the Lord's Day so important is that this is God's opportunity to come and knock and say, come and let me in to eat with you. So that you might enjoy me. So that you might come back into the light. This is of the utmost importance, brethren. That we understand who Jesus Christ is. What He's done. And what He desires. And what He has made Himself to be on our behalf. And so I want to spend some time just in these first two verses of 1 John chapter 2. God wonderfully gave these verses to us when He said, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, that we glean some things from His Word today. Let's pray together. Father, would You please meet with us and guide us during this time that what we hear and what we apply to our life might be from You and nowhere else. Bless us now. Help us. We pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. John, the beloved of Christ, was a pastor and a lover of people. He loved people. And the amazing thing is, is that Jesus Christ worked powerfully and mightily in John's life, so much so that in so many ways he became like Christ. He even began to use the words that Christ used. The truth is, the more you spend time learning from somebody, the more you begin to become like them. You begin to say things like they say. You begin to do things like they do. So it was with John. My little children, you know who said that first? 
Jesus did. Jesus said it to His disciples in John 13. Jesus said this in John 13 is the, is the passage of Scripture right before Jesus was going to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is during the, the, the Lord's table. And in verse 31, He says, uh, John 13, 31, Therefore when He was gone, it's not 1331. I wrote it down as 1331. But it's not there. But He did say to His disciples, Little children. Uh, verse 33, Little children, yet a little while, while I am with you, you shall seek Me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, little children. And he says this not to be derogatory. It's very much the exact opposite. It is a term of endearment, a term of affection, a term of love. When, when Jesus Christ said to his disciples, little children, he was speaking of his relationship of watch care over them. He was speaking of his relationship of, I am the teacher and you're the student, but now I send you out. When John in 1 John uses the same phrase, my little children, some of them no doubt were his peers in age, but he called them my little children not to be a derogatory term. To say, hey, I'm the daddy. We often think that way today, don't we? I remember when I was a, a teenager and uh, I'd get into fights here and there and I'd say something like this when that person was underneath me, who's your daddy? I remember doing that with my little brother. And I'd, I'd get my little brother and I'd get on top of him and I'd, I'd have both fists raised and I'd say, who's your daddy? And he wouldn't say any. I'd say, you better say it, right? This is not what Jesus or John were thinking. This is not that type of term. I don't believe any pastor ought to ever speak that way. Jesus, who's greater than all people, didn't speak to His disciples that way. He said it in such a way as to say, you're my, my students, my disciples. And it has been good to be with you. So it was with John. He's speaking to the people that he had been ministering to um, throughout um, many of the different areas uh, he ministered, particularly um, throughout Asia Minor, what we often call Turkey. And he had pastored and started churches. And, and he's saying these things to these people. My little children, my beloved, I am writing these things. So that you do not sin. I want you to notice here. Christian. You do not have to sin. One of the terrible, awful heresies that are taught is this. Christian, you're just always going to sin. Christian, you're always going to sin. Everything you think, everything you do, every part of your being, you're just going to sin. That's who you were before Christ. There was no good thing about you 
But now Jesus Christ has come to dwell in you. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. If you know Christ, you do not have to sin. Not because you are something, but because someone lives in you. Right? It is a sin to think you don't sin because you're so good. That's a sin. To think that you don't sin because you're so good is a sin. But if you don't sin, it is because of Jesus. And the truth is, because Jesus dwells in us, because Christ liveth in me, I don't have to sin. Greater is He that lives in you than he that is in the world. You do not have to sin. When you are faced with doing a sin, you don't have to. Christ lives in you. If you do sin, there is no one to blame but yourself. If you don't sin, there's only one to blame and that's Christ Himself. Right? Are you with me? If you sin, there's no one to blame but yourself. You cannot blame the devil. Why can you not blame the devil? He might have been the one that tempted you, but Jesus lives in you. If you do sin, if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But I want you to notice that we don't have to sin. Turn there to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Leave a mark there. We'll be back in just a moment. But in Psalm 119, you may have heard this before. Verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against Thee. You know, since you've known the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God has meant so much more to you than it ever did. This is true. In fact, if you're here today and the Word of God does has never really meant much to you, and continues to not mean much to you, If the Word of God has not had an impact in your life and you're here today, I would propose to you that you are not saved. Because if Christ lives in you, His Word is going to mean something to you. It is going to do a work of change because God is the author of this book. He is going to change your life. And so when God says here in verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? He's not talking about the path that you once walked and cleansing that. He's talking about making clean the path before you so that when you walk through it, you're not walking in the dirt, in the muck, in the mud. How can you get the path before you clean so that when you get there, you're not getting your feet dirty? Jesus Himself, uh, in the, in the, during the Last Supper, He unclothed Himself and put on a towel and washed His disciples' feet. And they said, what's this all about? In fact, Peter said, Lord, You won't wash my feet. 
And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you will, I can have no part with you. You can have no part with me. We can't partner. We can't be together. I need to be able to wash your feet. And Peter said, well, then wash my whole body. God, Jesus said, well, no, I've already washed you. You've been washed. Just your feet. The disciples said, what in the world does this mean? Jesus said, you'll find out later. I believe we know why. Because as we walk in this world, though we're saved and been made clean by the blood of Christ, we still can get filth all over our feet. Just like those Jews would walk in their sandals and during the summertime, some of you ladies, you wear sandals all the time, right through wintertime. I don't know how you do it. But you know what happens. Your feet get dirty. you got to wash them. Jesus said, I need to wash your feet. He needs to wash the grime of sin off of us. We'll look at that in a moment. But listen to this. We can walk on a path that's not filled with filth. Even though we're walking in a world... Is there a lot of filth out there? Is there a lot of sinful things out there? Is there a lot of things that you can consume with your eyes or your mouth or your ears? It should be not good. Not good for us to, to have seen it. Not good to have heard it. Not good. Is there, is there plenty of that out there? You can't drive down the, the, the highway into Providence and not see filthy things, right? But though we live in a world that wants, to, can, wants us to be consumed with sinful things, we don't have to sin. How's that going to happen? The first thing he says is in verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to that word. And so how are we going to make clean the path before us? We need to know the Word of God. And when the path before us is dirty in a particular way, we need to be able to remember the Word of God. And the word heed means to do the Word of God. Right? The first thing we need is to know the Word of God. You cannot heed something you do not know. We need to know what the Bible says. And then we need to have that word stored up in us so that when the, the dirt comes before us, we know what to do about it. For example, Job said, I will not let my eyes look upon a maiden. What did he mean by that? He meant that he was not going to stray from his wife. By the way, his wife, not all that enjoyable at certain points in their marriage. She literally said, why don't you just curse God and die? Nothing like that, right? Wives, I'd encourage you not to tell your husbands, listen, life's so bad, why don't you just curse God and die? At least then I'd get the insurance money, right? Don't do that. <laughs> wouldn't be good. Wouldn't be good. That's not good for marriage. That's my counsel for you today. Don't do that. Right? That's what Job dealt with. And he said in the midst of this type of thing happening to him, I'm not going to let my eyes look upon a woman to where I want her more than my wife. Let me ask you, are there a lot of things out there, a lot of women out there, that are trying to get you to look on her as more beautiful than your wife? Do you know that your wife can be the most beautiful woman in all the world? You say, what about all those other women? What about the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? Don't look at them. Your wife would be most beautiful. And she ought to be. Right? Well, how did Job get that? From God's Word. 
How can we remember from God's Word? I, I remember when I was in I was in college and I was going to the Summer Beach Project, which was a Christian nine-week program. We went to Myrtle Beach. I don't know why they did that. They probably should have gone somewhere different, but Myrtle Beach. And uh, I didn't go to the beach very often, and there are a lot of reasons why. But I remember I we got together the first summer, and, and I got together with guys and said, listen, there's all kinds of, of ladies out here. I don't want to look on them. I don't want to lust after them. And so we, we made a plan. <laughs> Our plan was this. I don't know how, how well it worked. It worked pretty well, I guess. If a, a lady was running by and she maybe didn't have many clothes on or whatever, uh, the friend would point the other direction and say, there's Elvis. <laughs> and so we'd all turn and look for Elvis. But why did we do this? Why did we do this? Because we didn't want to sin, right? We didn't want to sin. I don't want to sin. Gentlemen, I don't, you don't have to be in college to have a straying eye. Write God's Word upon your heart so that you don't. Right? Ladies, the same thing. You know, guys, it's a sad thing, but we want, we want anybody to think we're better than anybody. It is a very bad thing, gentlemen. To want somebody else's wife to think you're all that. And it's easy enough to do. They don't have to live with you. Right? They have to live with their own husband. And if they live with their own husband, if they're like me, there are times where we're not all that easy to live with. It sure seems greener on the other side. Gentlemen, don't do that. Ladies, don't believe it. How are you not going to believe that some other guy is better than your guy? The Word of God. Trust His Word. Believe His Word. Right? That's how we cleanse our way. He says, with my whole heart have I sought Thee. It can't be half. It's got to be whole. We have to be willing to say, Lord, I know the world we live in and I don't want to sin. Help me. With my whole heart, Lord, I've sought Thee. Oh, let me not wander from Thy commandments. And in verse 11, Thy Word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. The first thing we need to realize in 1 John chapter 2 is we don't have to sin. We don't have to. It's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. But, and I'm glad there's this continuation. He says, And if in any man sin." We have an advocate with the Father. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if we sin, all is not lost. Right? In your relationships, husbands and wives, remember that. With Christ, all is not lost. All is not lost. Because we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord, the Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does that mean? Notice what it says. And if any man sin, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So, if we do sin, the amazing thing is, is we have someone 
who has the ear of God the Father, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Let me tell you what the devil's saying first. First, we need to understand the devil is saying, See, John is a sinner. John is a sinner, and he deserves punishment. John is a sinner, and he deserves the wrath of God. John is a sinner, and he deserves all you could throw at him. But then you have Jesus, the Son of God. And which one do you think is going to have more credence with the judge, God the Father? God the Son or the nasty old devil? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, the devil's not righteous, but Jesus Christ is. The devil's not just, but Jesus Christ is. And it is just for Jesus Christ to say, Father, that sin has been paid for. I paid for it with my blood. That's what Jesus did for us, isn't it? His blood continues to cleanse us from all sin. Isn't that what 1 John 1 9 says? His blood cleanses us, cleanseth us from all sin. We have an advocate, and his advocacy is good and perfect. Brethren, we ought to hate sin with every part of our being, so much so that we realize what our sin has done. It has nailed Jesus to the cross. But we ought to remember and avail ourselves of this. Jesus died to cleanse us from all sin. We have an advocate. That word advocate has to do with a lawyer. Someone who speaks on another's behalf. Someone who stands and says things that they could not say. But to say it with honesty. You know one of the terrible things that lawyers, their their reputations are, are... Terrible, just as a people group. <laughs> One of the great things, uh, we have lawyers like CLA and many others, they're Christians, and they're, they're, uh, their reputations are without spot. They're not Jesus, but they love Christ. And they're not doing what they do in corruption. Right? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no corruption in Him. If there is an, if our lawyer is corrupt, it sure makes things difficult, doesn't it? Because if the lawyer can be caught in corruption, then it ruins the whole case. You know who's never going to be caught in corruption? Jesus. And so if He says it's so, it is. Because He's Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the one who died to save us from our sins. And then I want you to notice verse 2. It says, and. Now that word and is not here's something and then here's something else. That word and means indeed or even as. In other words, you could read it this way. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Indeed, He is the propitiation of our sins. In other words, they're connected, right? They're not two different things. They're saying two things in this, in a, two things, but in a, in a way that connects them both together. They're linked together. He's our advocate. He's our propitiation. They're both connected 
uh, by a chain. Indeed, He is the propitiation for our sins. Well, what in the world does that mean? Propitiation. What do we mean by a propitiation? It means someone that appeases. Turn with me to John chapter 3. You are not going to be get, get away from this fact. Sin to God is terrible. What do I mean by terrible? I mean it brings on the terror of God Himself. Sin is wickedness. When God gets angry at sin, He is right to do so. When God is filled with wrath and indignation towards the sinner, He is not doing wrong. He's right. Sin is wickedness. Sin is the very reason for the way our world is today. Without sin, this world would be perfect. One day, this world is going to become nothing more than a flame of fire. And God is going to make a new world where there is no sin. This world cannot be, this world can't be taken and, and uh, made new without it being destroyed completely first. The scripture says that He is going to destroy this world in order to make a new one. God's wrath is just and right. In John 3, we have this wonderful verse. It has been memorized by unbelievers and believers. It has been mocked in many ways. But it is also something that has been said so often that it sadly has become cliche. But it is a wonderful passage. In fact, it may be the greatest verse in all the Scripture. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. But I want you to continue on. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus came so that the world doesn't have to be condemned. What does he mean by condemned? He means to be utterly destroyed. <laughs> to be utterly cast out. In Revelation chapter 20, the scripture says these horrible words. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. No good. That's what, con- that's what it means by condemnation. That is the literal thought. Condemnation cast into the lake of fire. Jesus Christ did not come so that people in the world were cast into the lake of fire. He came so that they might be saved. What does that mean? They don't go to the lake of fire. The amazing thing about Christ's salvation is this. He saves us from the worst and gives us the best. And no greater salvation than the salvation of Christ. He saves us from what we deserve, the worst. And He gives us as a gift the best, eternal life. This is what He does. I want you to notice verse 18. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. 
Why did Jesus come? So that the world could believe and by their belief they're not condemned. But Jesus does not stop here. He says, but he that believeth not is condemned already. (laughs) Jesus came so that the world might believe and by their belief they are saved. And when we say world, we're talking about every individual in the world. Every single one of them. Every single individual, Jesus Christ came so that they might believe and they might be saved. But if they don't believe, what does the Scripture say? They are condemned already. I want you to know, the condemnation of God is just and right And there is nothing wrong with what God says or does in condemning because sin is very bad. Sin is wicked. There's no word that I could give up here to describe it. Some of the things that I've heard when people describe sin, it it will well up within us uh, uh, absolute disgust. But that's who we are without Christ. 1 John, back there. We believe not we're condemned already. But notice what he says. And he is the propitiation. It's used one other time later on in 1 John. And it means to appease. Jesus Christ came so that the wrath of God would be appeased. So God would not be, there would be no wrath in God when He thought of me. There would be no condemnation when He thought of me. There'd be no thought that God had that that He should throw me into the lake of fire. There'd be none of that. I want you to notice what Paul said in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? Where, what can I do? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ saved us to deliver us from this body of death, this wretchedness of who we are. He came to save us. And then I want you to listen to what it says in verse, chapter 8, verse 1. This is a good one to have written down in your heart. There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What does Christ Jesus do? He takes away the condemnation. That's what it means by Him being our propitiation. The wrath of God is appeased. And never does He look down at those who have believed with wrath any longer. Are you with me? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, the wrath of God is not upon you. The condemnation of God is not upon you. You have been freed from it because Jesus died. He took the wrath upon Himself. And you are now saved. And so He says... And He is the propitiation for our sins. And finally, He says, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know what that means? Jesus died 
for every person. Everyone. There's not a soul, wherever they're from, that Jesus did not die for. That has been said, what if Hitler called upon Christ as his Savior? Jesus died for the sins of the world. No, Hitler did not. I don't believe for a second he ever called upon Christ as his Savior. Those who say that Hitler was a Christian are filthy liars. He was an atheist who used Christianity to fool the Germans. When he killed himself, he immediately entered into hell. And I believe there are levels of hell and there's a deep one for him. But I tell you the truth, there are those who we have a a hatred for and we ought to. In some ways, we ought to say, those who blow themselves up for virgins, we ought to despise them. But I want you to know Jesus died for them. And there are those who have thought, one day I'm going to blow myself up to kill the infidels. And you know what? They're saved today. Because they have called upon Christ as their Savior. There are those who have been in the midst of jihad. And they have said, Jesus, He really did die for me. Jesus Himself came and spoke to me in a dream. Many of these these Muslim Middle Eastern men and women, they have heard the Gospel and they have been saved. And they're no longer thinking about killing people. But saving them from their sin as well. You know, there's a lot of people coming to know the Lord in the Middle East today. Now, there are many, many, many more who want to kill and destroy. But there are those who are in the shadows, who are who live for fear of their life if they ever get caught. And they have come to know the Lord as their Savior. Many of them have moved to the United States where they might find safety. But I tell you the truth, there are those who believe. And so here is what we need to remember. There's not one person that Jesus did not die for so that they might be saved. And we need to, because He died for us, we cannot think of ourselves more highly than we ought. (laughs) It is a dangerous thing to think that you deserve to be saved, but not the Muslim in the Middle East. (laughs) Remember how bad sin is. Sin is very bad. We deserve everything that an unbelieving Muslim gets if we don't believe. But if they deserve, if they, they... They don't deserve, nobody deserves to be saved. But if Jesus died to save them, they deserve to hear how. (laughs) Are you with me? They deserve to hear how. John said these things to a people, some of whom had been ripped from their homes and put in jail because they believed in Christ. And he is saying these things. When he says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, he's reminding these dear Christian people, the one who takes the whips and whips you, they deserve to be saved. They ought to be saved. They don't deserve to be saved. They deserve to hear how to be saved. None of us deserve to be saved, but everyone deserves to know how. You with me? Young people, the kids at school who look at you and make fun of you because of their ridiculousness, they deserve to hear the gospel. They don't deserve to be saved like you are. But you didn't deserve to be saved either. But they deserve to hear how to be. People in your workplaces where you are constantly 
facing the ridiculousness of people who live in the world, who are unkind and are constantly devising ways to put you down, they deserve to hear how to be saved. Because Jesus didn't die for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Are you guys here? Do you believe that to be true? This is what the Scripture says. Amen? Oh, may God help us. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brethren, I believe that God is just. He will rain justice upon evildoers. But He is the one that must be just. We don't know how to be just because we don't know everything. God is just. I believe Osama bin Laden got what he should have gotten. And I believe God is the one who allowed him to get what he got. (laughs) I believe that. I believe there is such thing as that which is right. And I believe that there is such thing as that which is wrong. But God says this, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It belongs to Him. What belongs to us? The Gospel. He has saved us, brethren. He died to save us from our sin. And so may God help us. May God help us to remember these words. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I don't say these things to be a hurt any person. I don't say them to be offensive or unkind. I don't say them without an understanding of what people have gone through at the hands of wicked men and wicked women. I say them because I believe the Word of God. And I also know who I am. And me, without Christ is the epitome of sin and wickedness. There was not a kind bone in my body, but Jesus saved me. And yes, it's true. I live in America where I am free and safe. There's no doubt about that. I cannot dispute it. My prayer is is that if America ever becomes a place that is not free nor safe, that I would still stand upon the the Word of God. In the quietness of the moment, Christian, lift up Jesus Christ. If there be any sin, if there's any sin, you have an advocate... Go to Him and have Him advocate for you. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. 
Thank Him. Bless Him. Love Him. If you're here today and you're not saved, Jesus died to take you from a place of condemnation to a place where there's no more condemnation ever. He died on the cross to save you from your sin. There's only one condition for salvation. Believe. Believe with all your heart. If you're here today and you're not saved, all you must do is believe. Turn from your unbelief and believe. This is what Jesus says. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. In the quietness of the moment, if you're here today and you're not saved, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer that I prayed 19 years ago. If you're here today and you're not saved, I'd like to pray with you. I don't want to waste everybody's time though. And so I'd ask you this, if you're not saved, but you say, I want to call upon Christ because I believe with all my heart. Would you lift up your head, look me in the eyes, and I'll see and we'll pray together. If anybody would. Anybody here today say, that's me. I believe, I want to ask. If there's anything that was said today and you have a question, if you're concerned, um, if you'd like clarity, I don't, again, it's easy enough for me not to be clear. Come see me. Don't leave angry or upset um, if I have a chance to clear it up. But I do believe these things with all my heart in the way that I mean them. I believe the Word of God in the way that God wrote it. So Christian, if that's, if that's the case with you, please come see me after service and we'll try to, to make it more clear.